Hello again, fight fans. Welcome to episode number 260 of the Neutral Corner Boxing Podcast. I am your host, Michael Montero, for Ring Magazine, ringtv.com, and of course, the Ring Digital YouTube channel. We are checking me out live right now. Make sure that you're subscribed and you click the notification bell because YouTube loves to unsubscribe people. So this is TNC 260 for the week of April 3rd. Great show lined up for you guys. My throat's a little scratchy because the trees are in bloom here in the Atlanta area. There is pollen everywhere. My car, my entire driveway is covered with yellow dust. That's the pollen from the trees. And you try to go outside and do road work and that stuff. It is not pretty. But uh, we will soldier through. Great show lined up for you guys. We have uh, Montel Ice Griffin on the show joining us from his gym in Chicago. So we're going to jump over to him right now. Uh, If you guys are on the chat, make sure that you uh, give a thumbs up, like the video. And as always, I remind you, man, make sure you're subscribed and all that good stuff. But Jump over to uh, iTunes, uh, Apple Pod, same thing, Apple Podcasts, Google Pod, all of it. Make sure that you're liking, subscribing, giving a thumbs up, leave a rating, leave a review. That helps me tremendously. And I, I will remind you guys again, the audio version of the podcast goes out 24 hours after the live video. Okay, so you guys keep asking about that. The live or the, the audio version goes out tomorrow on all of my platforms on Montero Unboxing. So let's jump over to... Uh, Let's see if we can get Montel Ice Griffin on the show here, if he can hear us. Tried checking in a minute ago, and we couldn't hear each other, but let's see. Uh, trying to connect, trying to connect. Hang on one second, guys. We'll try this again. Mr. Griffin, can you hear me? No. <laughs> he was just there. He's not there. All right, we'll check back with Montel Griffin in a minute, guys. We've been having issues with that connection. Uh, as soon as he's back up, we'll jump back to him. But let's just go to news and notes while we're waiting, man. Let's see here. All right, a few news items this week. You know, the schedule isn't crazy, crazy loaded right now. There was a good fight last week. You know, we'll talk about that. We got a, a decent fight coming up this week that we'll talk about. But the schedule isn't completely loaded right now. But there is some news to talk about. Um Hang on one second, guys. Uh, uh, Montel is just uh, texting me. He was telling me he couldn't hear me. So we are having some tech difficulties, but let me see if I can go back, try again here. Um, Hang on one second, guys. Don't you just love technology? Yeah, we are having an issue with the connection here. Montel, can you hear me at all? We still can't hear each other. What is up with that? You guys can hear me out there in the chat, right? I don't know what's going on with that, man, because we haven't had any problems with this yet. Apologies, apologies. You guys know how it is with technology. I will keep trying. But it tries to connect, and then it doesn't go through. So, yeah, I see you guys on the chat. Sounds like you can hear me okay. But when I try to add ice on here, it just doesn't connect. All right, he's going to try to log out and log back in. We'll see if we can make that work. Anyway, what I was saying is um, the schedule, you know, a little bit of a lull right now. But we're starting to get some news happening. We're finally starting to get some fights scheduled later in the year. It looks like May is going to be a loaded month, which is good because May – September, those should be the two hottest months. 
finally, we got some fights to talk about. But uh, Canelo versus Saunders, we've known that one's going to happen, right? And 40,000 tickets have sold already. So there are a lot of people out there saying, hey, I don't know about this fight. I don't know what's up. I don't know if it's going to sell. Look at it, 40,000 during the pre-sale. Yeah, I would say that Canelo versus Saunders is, is pretty legit. And that's going to be, they're staging it for 60,000. I think it's absolutely going to sell out. They're doing it the right way. All right, let's jump over here and let's see if we can get this connection to work. Mr. Montel Ice Griffin, can you hear me, sir? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. How you doing? All right. I'm, I'm so sorry about that. I don't know what happened earlier, but you know how it is with technology. Sometimes yeah, it works, sometimes it, was, it doesn't. Yeah. I think he was, the, the Wi-Fi here at the gym was real slow. Okay. Yeah, because I heard some music playing in the background. I heard some guys working back there. So, um, well, let's talk about the gym. Um, Windy City Boxing Club, right? How long has that gym been going? Uh, it's been open since uh, December 2018. Okay. So three years. And that's you're running that gym, but you grew up work training in the gym under the same name, correct? My, my father, my father bought Johnny Coulon's gym, okay, '73, uh, and and named it Windy City Boxing Club. So. When I was ready to open up my gym, I wanted to name it the same as my father's and also added his name. So it's Clarence Griffin when he sees boxing. That's awesome. So you're carrying on that tradition that goes back. So your gym goes to 2018, but the tradition, everything, the family business, if you will, goes back to 1973. 1973. Yeah, 1973. I was three years old. He, uh, he brought my brother into the gym to teach him self-defense. He fell in love with it, and he bought the gym. Okay. And, of course, you came up there in Chicago, um, which really used to be a fight town, you know? Yeah. And it, Chicago was the mecca in the 20s and 30s. Well, the Chicago Golden Gloves used to be a yeah. big deal. I mean, Joe Lewis won the Chicago Golden Gloves, right? Joe Lewis, Ray Robinson, everybody fought in the Chicago Golden Glove Nationals. Uh, it was the biggest, it was the first big tournament in boxing. What so, happened? What happened to Chicago? Who knows, man? Uh, Is it the commission there? I mean, if you can't talk about that, then we won't talk. I, I know these things I mean, get political. I'm not, not going to say it's commission. It's just that uh, just the people, I mean, you know, we got the uh, the Cubs and, the, you know, Chicago's a big Cubs fan city, big Bear fan city, and the Bulls, you know, once Michael started winning. But, uh, That's a good point yeah, with Michael, it's kinda, yeah. It's kind of bagged off for boxing, man. I just don't understand it. I think because it's, um, you know, it's unorganized. So, mm. you know what I'm saying? Big, big city guys, I mean, I mean, the big guys – the higher levels up top don't really want to deal with it because they got to deal with too many people. Yeah, uh, Jessica McCaskill yeah. is uh, the undisputed women's welterweight champion out of Chicago. I think she's the only world champ right now out of Chicago. Have you had a chance to uh, to meet with her or see any of her fights? Uh, what do you think about her uh, as a fighter? I've been knowing Jessica for about four, yeah, about four years now. Okay. I, Simpson. I met Jessica and um, uh, we actually sparred. Uh, I want to say... Was it last year? Maybe 2019, uh, before the pandemic, uh, we sparred a little bit. So I got mad respect for Jessica. She uh, came from St. Louis, made Chicago at home. Yep. She, you know, she, uh, she, she, she did a, a huge thing when she stepped up to fight Katie Taylor in London. She did so good that it, it, it kind of got her career going. And uh, I mean, you know, it, whenever you lose a fight and and, and get you know a lot of respect, what she did that was perfect. She just beat uh, one of the best women in boxing history twice back to back. So uh, right. the world is the world is is hers right now. I even heard Clarissa Seals talking about going down and wait to fight her. So Jessica is the hottest woman in boxing right now. And yeah, I'm, I mean, and I'm not talking about how she looked. 
<laughs> <laughs> yeah, you never know these days. You know, people could misinterpret things. You never know. But uh, I tried to clear it up. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Um, I think she deserves tremendous credit because you talked about her taking that Katie Taylor fight. She didn't have to take that fight when she did it. And she traveled. She went over there and fought in Katie's backyard. She took an L, but she learned from it, obviously. It kind of reminds me of when Canelo fought Floyd. It's not the exact same thing, but it's similar, right? Yeah, but, I mean, yeah. There's no way Canelo could lose that fight. He's he's 23 years old. He made $10 million. Right. And, he, and he's put in a position to fight one of the greatest fighters in ever with, with, a, with a huge event. I was at the, I was at the event. I okay. told my wife. I told my wife. When I seen how big it was, I said, if this fight is close, Canelo going to win. And you see, it wasn't close at all, and one judge voted for <laughs> Yeah, that judge will remain nameless. We won't talk about that judge. You know, you know, we deal with in boxing. Yeah. Well, hey, man, let's talk about. Actually, uh, I want to talk about the book real quick. The Ice Life, right here. Um, I haven't cracked it open yet. I'm finishing up one book. This is next on my list. What propelled you to write the book? Uh, came out, I think, last summer, right? I think it was summer of 2020. Yeah, you know, late last year. Yeah, I mean, the pandemic kind of just hurt me. And that's what I was going to ask you about, because because yeah, yeah. you, you had it planned to come out, then the pandemic right. hit. How right. did that affect everything? It affected everything. So, you know, okay. I mean, right, it, we're just trying to make the best of the situation. But, uh, I mean, the book is out. It's done. It's here. I started writing in 2006. I just finished it last year. Wow. And I, you know, I just had, and this was other people who I was meeting who saw my photo albums, who read up on me, who found out about me being around Muhammad Ali and different things in my life. They said, man, your, your life is a book, man. You got to write a book about this. And they also said a movie. So I'm hoping if, the, if it falls in the right hands, maybe we can do a movie about my life. I think I think it's worth it. I think it uh, it, it show people that uh, you get a second chance in life. Don't don't ever give up that. Right. It's not over till it's over. Yeah, because there's a lot of stories that involve you outside of boxing and people outside of boxing, people in the world of basketball and things like that, that um, a lot of fans don't know about. Is there a couple quick things you could hit on maybe in the book? I mean, I don't want you to give everything away, but just a couple of quick things that people may not know on the surface. What? Okay, Nick Anderson. Uh, me and Nick Anderson went to high school together. I was there when Ben Wilson got shot. Uh, I, I know that, him. yeah. I talked to him five minutes before he died. We we both got he had he got out of school seven period. I had seven period lunch. We was leaving out the same door, and I told him I said, "Good luck on tomorrow's game." He said, "Man, mm-hmm. thank you very much." They walked away, and while I was thinking about it, I said, "Man, I don't have no money." So I turned around and went back in the lunchroom. But I would have been walking right behind him. And uh, five minutes later, everybody screamed that Ben got shot. So the Ben was a self story, and Nick Anderson. Uh, I got into a fight with one of his best friends, and I beat him up pretty bad, and. Nick was like, man, you you know how to fight. It's something, it's something different about you. I said, I don't know what you mean. He said, no, you know how to fight. And I said, well, I, I, fight, I used to fight as a kid. He said, man, why you do my man like that? And Nick Anderson would hit me in my chest every time he seen me in the, in the hallway. So that was cool. So, you know, we still keep in touch. So I respect the big fella. So, yeah, it, I, I've had a lot of different living, great people coming to my life. Yeah, that's crazy, the, the Ben Wilson story. I mean, a lot of people don't know that. I didn't realize that you had seen him just five minutes before. I knew that you guys knew each other, went to the same school and all that, right? Yeah. Um, but you saw him just before he died. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah. He, he had a, a work program, so he got out early, seventh period. I had seventh period lunch, and we would leave out the same door every day. And this day, he was with his girlfriend, Jatan. I got a chance to say something to him, and he passed away. But... uh. Wow. The, the Ben Wilson story is just a whole nother story on how, uh, 
You know what I'm saying? I, I was a 14-year-old kid. I went to Simeon just because of Ben Wilson. I didn't even know who he was. And I met him, and um, I saw him talking to one of my friends from grammar school. She was a real pretty girl. I said, you like her? He's like, yeah. I said, I got a phone number. He's like, what? He said, 40. <laughs> he wrote down his phone number and said, man, call me when you get home. I was 14 years old. This blew my mind. And I called him. I talked to him for like an hour. And the next day, the girl was like, why you get that boy my phone? And I said, because I, <laughs> I, I wanted to be his friend. That's why. <laughs> uh, yeah, for real. But, uh, yeah, that's a true story. That's awesome, man. That's, I mean, that's great, man. I cannot wait to read this book. Uh, that's awesome. I love it, the ice life. Uh, we talked about your, your, uh, your gym, but I want to talk about your youth foundations because you got a couple of, oh, there's, <laughs> there's ice life. I love it. That's a great name. Uh, let's talk about your work with, with the youth. Cause you do a lot of work. You have a nonprofit. You do a lot of work with kids. Yeah. Well, let's I, talk about that. You don't get enough shine for that. I feel. Oh, you know, shine for nothing, but I'm not, <laughs> complaining. I'm not complaining at all. I'm happy being me. Uh, now I'm just playing. Uh, <laughs> uh, I have, um, I've been dealing with after school matters. I've been partnering with after school matters for over seven years. That's, that's, it's great. My, my, both my sons are in the program. These, they, they pay the kids to go work out and train and everything, which is a beautiful thing. And I also partner with uh, Windy City Boxing Youth Foundation, a nonprofit that gives out uh, scholarships for kids to train every month. That's awesome. And you said seven years you've been working with that's that one? That's matters. That's what matters, yeah. And then, so you work with the kids. Let's talk about your kids because several of your kids uh, were highly accomplished in, I think, about basketball in several different sports, right? Track, basketball? Well, my daughter plays pro ball. She played pro ball in Bosnia this year. She's in her okay. second year. She led the league in scoring. She's only 5'5", five, five, which I'm very happy for. Uh, my other son, Terry, uh, he'll be a freshman again next year because of the pandemic. But uh, he's playing pro I mean, he's playing co- uh, college ball. He's a two-time state champion in high school. And my youngest son, Tyrell, he's a, uh, he boxed, but okay. he's a brainiac. Uh, he has a free, uh, he got a free academic scholarship. So I said, man, don't even worry about boxing if you want to. But I said, get your degree, get your life set up. You know what I'm saying? He only uh, 19, 17 years old. So he got plenty of, plenty of time to box if he like to. But uh, I want to get, you know, use his brain instead. Right, right, right. So, so only one of your kids excelled at a high level in boxing. Is is it that you didn't want your your kids, your other kids, to uh, box? My daughter, my daughter wanted to wanted to box. I wasn't allowed. My oldest son is autistic, so he couldn't box. But okay, my daughter wanted to box. She's the first one to box. She's uh, twenty five now. And I said, no. I said, what's your second favorite sport? He said basketball. So I moved back home. I signed up. Kendrick Nunn was her first teammate that mm. played for Miami Heat, and they played together. And with well, nine years later, she got a a D1 scholarship. So it worked out. So, so she, that's amazing. Told me, thank you. So your kids are all kicking ass. Man, that's great. I mean, you know, I just, man, I just, I'm a father, man, that, you know, I ain't gonna say I'm hard on them, but I'm hard on them. You know what I'm saying? I just want to make sure they have a good life and I don't, you know, I don't take up no BS or nothing. So I just try to make sure, you know what I'm saying? That uh, they do the right things and make the right decisions in life. Yeah, I'm sure you carry those lessons over to the gym as well and everything that you're doing with the youth. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, man, we could use a lot more of that in the world today. There, there's so many kids that just don't have a father figure in their life or somebody just just a mentor to guide them. Everybody right? need them. Everybody. I, I never went to college before, but I got three kids that did, so I did my job. That's the way it's supposed to work. That's the American dream right there. And um, I think you're already a member of the Illinois Boxing Hall of Fame, but you're going to be inducted into the Indiana Boxing Hall of Fame May 22nd, correct? Yeah, I'm really excited about that. Uh me and Tony Tubbs, 
was in Muhammad Ali's training camp in 1977. I was his roommate. We used to hang out together. It's another story in the book where I hung out with Tony Tubbs and got in trouble. And uh, it's a good story, but uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing Tony Tubbs. I haven't seen him since 1977. Uh, Michael Nunn, I've been talking about him. He's, uh, I'm really excited about him. Donnie Lalonde, you know, David Diaz, who's from Chicago. Uh, Who else? Uh, Randall Bailey, who was knocking everybody out. We met maybe 10, 15 years ago in Las Vegas where he was training for a fight and we kept in in contact with each other. So I'm looking forward to a a great night, May 21st. That's a lot of talent right there. But man, so you haven't seen Tubbs since 1977. I I talked to his brother. I didn't talk to Nate a thousand times. I've seen Nate, but I haven't seen Tony Tubbs since I was seven years old. Wow. I can't wait to see him. Well, let's talk about your career a little bit. Uh, of course, we have to bring up the Roy Jones fights, right? Let's go. But um, you beat James Tony, nineteen ninety five, majority decision, With and then fights. right, fourteen pro fights. Yeah, a lot of people just kind of overlook that. You know, the, the the Roy Jones fights are the, I, I guess, the thing everyone focuses on when they talk about your career. But you got a W over James Tony when James Tony was James Tony, pound for pound. We he was pound for pound number one. Uh, three three months before we fought. I, this is what I like to explain to people. If they don't like want to give me my credit or even understand what I did in boxing, I took off eight years, right? In 1991, I had my first fight, right? A year later, I was number one in the nation. I made the Olympics in 92. Right. I, I made the Olympics with 30 amateur fights. Right, I right. Being off eight years, I turned pro, 14 pro fights, I beat James Tony. That's 44 fights in four years. And... That's what I did, and people don't talk about it. But I think that, pretty that's fun. pretty significant. And then, and then in the first fight with with Jones in '96, I think yeah, it was the first one was '96, right? '97. Uh, I think it was um, the ninth round when uh, when he was disqualified. He hit you twice when you were down. But people also kind of overlook the fact that you were winning rounds in that fight. I think I was winning the fight. Uh, they had all three judges had it very close. Uh, two judges had him winning by one point and right. two points. One judge had me winning by one point. Right. If he, if he didn't get credit for that knockdown when he did knock me down, I'm on, I'm winning on two scorecards and one scorecard is a draw. So how could you tell me that the guy hit me on my knee because he was frustrated? There's nothing else to talk about. Like I tell Roy Twice. Jones, I say, your fans love you so much that they hate me because you hit me on my knee. And that's, that's the truth. He laughed about it, but it's the truth. Yeah, I mean, to, to me it was clear to see that he was frustrated because you were doing so well. You were having more success against him than anybody had had at that point, right? I've, I've, I've had more success than him than any boxer that he's ever boxed, as far as just outboxing skill level. At, at that, at his, in his prime. Yeah. Again, this wasn't a faded Roy. This was 1990s Roy. Now, number one pound for pound fight in the world. I fought two guys that was rated number one pound for pound, and I'm three and one. Well, let's talk about the rematch, okay? Rematch happens, first-round knockout. It's in the book. Uh, I got stabbed in the back. I mean, I got proof. Uh, the, the night of the fight, and, and I'm not here because I don't want nobody to think I'm complaining or making excuses. This is the truth. The night after the fight, Chris Bird called me and said, a man from Roy Jones' camp told him that they rushed me in and didn't let me warm up, right? Okay, I felt bad about it, but I didn't see the guy for 20 years. I saw the guy, I ain't gonna say his name. I saw the guy, I said, What did you tell Chris Bird? And I didn't even ask him, he didn't even ask me what you talking about. He said, Oh, yeah, I, we got you. We got you. We rushed you in there. We did it on purpose. We fucked you, and your, your manager and promoter knew about it. 
That's the first thing he told me 20 years later. And and I and I mentioned it to Roy. I said, bro, I made a book, I wrote a book about my life, and I mentioned that a guy from your camp, I said his name, said what See, happened. You mentioned this in the book. It's in the book. And I okay, talked to Roy okay. about it, and he didn't even deny it. He didn't even say, like I okay, if if I if I call you and tell you, hey bro, I heard you did this or did that, if you didn't do it, you're gonna say, nah, you crazy. Right? You're gonna be like, nah, I ain't I don't know what you're talking about, Martel. Yeah. I mentioned it to Roy and he ain't say nothing. So that's all I need to know. That's all the proof I need to know. That's I was I was so good that they didn't want me to be hundred percent when I fought them. So I lost. So it's cool with me. I, I'm able to live with that now. It bothered me at first, but now I know that they they, they stabbed me in the back. It don't even bother me no more. So they rushed you to the ring that night, or they rushed you in camp? What? You know, to the ring that night. People who was there, like Elvis Grant Phillips, was there. He knows everything that happened. You can ask him. I didn't warm up five minutes for that fight. And, but, so you, you were know, just I was cold. a world champion, but I didn't have a contract with HBO, so they could care less about me. Hmm. So they rushed me out. They, rushed, they, they pushed me out there. I had 59 pro fights. You know what I'm saying? I've never been hurt while I just wasn't able to continue. That's the first time in my career. I know I could take a punch, but it is what it is. So why wasn't there a third fight? You asked Roy Jones that. I, 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 Roy, <laughs> okay. For 20, for 20 years, every time I saw him, he promised to fight me and never did. You know why? Because you know what I bring to the table, and I just leave it at that. I respect Roy Jones. Uh, we talk to this day. He's a great fighter. But I, I just know, you know, styles make fights, and, and I had to style that he'll never want to see again. So that's why he didn't fight me. And after that fight, it seemed that you were never the same. Was it just that you were kind of soured on the sport? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, first of all, uh, I go to the Olympic team. I make. I, 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 first of all, I turn. I, I fight amateur. I fight Jeremy Williams, one of the best amateurs in the world. I beat him. I don't get the decision. Okay, I got to go to court. Then I made the team. Then I go to Barcelona. I cut the the world champions out. He's bleeding like a, a pig. They don't stop the fight. I lost my gold medal. You know what I'm saying then I turn pro, I get rushed in against Roy Jones. I mean, it just it was just getting to the point to me that boxing just it was just it was just uh one the same. It was just taking taking something away from me. It took something out of me. So it took me a year, a few years to get, get to get back going and get, get get back on track. And coming full circle now, you know, you're still working boxing, obviously. You're running a gym, you're working with kids. Is part of that so you could teach them some of the lessons that you had to learn the hard way? Well, the whole situation was, I actually, I was a Cook County Sheriff since 2010. I got suspended for my job with no pay. So I was just sitting around the house uh, spending my own money. So I said, look, I'm not doing that. So I might as well open up a gym. So I, okay. I think it was just, it took me for that to happen to get me focused and, and have my uh, patience to, to be in boxing and run a gym and everything. But at the, at, at the beginning, when I first retired, I was still, I mean, I was 41, but I still do. I still did things like I, when I was a kid. So I still was young to be forty-one. So I just didn't have the patience. I, I went to hang out and travel and kicking and everything. So when I when I got suspended from my job, that's when I sat down okay. and said, "Hey, look, take this serious now." And, you know, I think it's probably the best thing that ever happened to me. The best thing that's ever happened to you? What the gym? Yeah, I mean, me getting suspended at my job and then open up the gym and oh, okay. get back in boxing. You know, in the long run, it's going to be the best thing that ever happened to me. Yeah, and probably the best thing that's happened to a lot of kids because you're you're helping the community now and you're making a difference. Obviously, you were doing that before with your your job, but now you're doing it in a different way. Uh, that's that's positive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got a thousand. Like I said, I have a youth programs, I have after school matters, I have my scholarship program. 
with, a, with the nonprofit. So uh, I got a lot of kids coming in here. I'm glad that uh, I think Lori Lightfoot did a good job being the mayor of Chicago. We we had uh, stage five, so we could have a box of classes inside. Okay. 15 people. So we, we, we rolling now. Everything is going good. Uh, you know, last year in March, I had to shut down two months. And I'm right. still you know, paying back rent for that. So I'm just I'm trying to roll and keep going. We try to make the best situation. The only thing I hate is there's no amateur boxing in Illinois, so my kids are getting a little upset. That's tough. Yeah, there's so many gyms that went under last year. I know several gyms that went under. Uh, so, so the fact that you're still running is a testament to, to your faith in what you're doing and your hard work. Um, but yeah, the amateurs they got to get the amateurs going again because yeah, because we lose these kids to the streets. You know, yeah, so yeah, yeah. You need to get the mayor on that. You need to yeah. let her know. Cause, cause that, I mean, they need to compete. If they have something to look forward to, right. maybe it makes the difference of, okay, I'm going to turn right when I, you know, I think I said turn left. Right. I think it's time for them to get it back rolling. I hear you. I hear you. the national championships going on in Shreveport right now. That, that's the only state I know right now. And yeah. that's my open fighters. So my novice fighters can't fight. And, and my, my few of my open fighters couldn't afford to, you know, pay to go out there. Get so down there. Right. That's, right. that's another situation we got to deal with. Right. Always something. Well, everyone, uh, check it out. The book is The Ice Life by Montel Ice Griffin, former WBC light heavyweight champion of the world. 1992 Olympian runs the Windy City Boxing Club. There it is on the T-shirt, The Ice Life. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining us, champ. Can I just give you my link? My link is the icelifebook.com. It's the icelifebook.com. Ice Life Book. Oh, theicelifebook.com. There it is. That's the link for the And it's also on Amazon and Kindle. Awesome. Thank you so much. Have a good one. Thank you. I appreciate it, champ. All right. There he goes. There he goes. All right. That was awesome, man. And, yeah, I mean, I've heard a few of the stories, guys, uh, that are are in this book, but I'm sure there's a bunch more that I'm not aware of. I know a couple of people have already read this, and they were like, dude, I learned some shit I didn't know. And I'm a boxing nerd, so I can't wait to check out that book. That's going to be a lot of fun, man. I love that he's uh, doing his thing, uh, Montel Griffith, with the gym there in Chicago and working with kids. We need so much more of that right now in this world, man. Um, So awesome, awesome work. And uh, guys, I will post the link to this in a pinned comment on this video. I'll tweet it out so you guys can uh, check out his book, okay? All right, let's get back to news and notes. Uh, I was talking about Canelo versus Saunders. 40,000 tickets sold in the presale. That's huge. Is there any doubt right now that Canelo Alvarez runs boxing? And I'm not saying this to kiss butt, okay? I've been accused of being a Canelo hater. I've been accused of being a Canelo apologist all in the same week. You know, it really just depends on which way the wind's blowing that day. I get accused of all sorts of crazy stuff. But Canelo Alvarez is running the sport right now, okay? He's about to fight uh, Billy Joe Saunders May 8th. That will be his third fight in, what, about six months? Three fights in six months, uh, not the best opposition. I understand that. But, again, Saunders, that's that's a pretty good opponent, going to unify titles. Doing it in Texas, they scaled the, the arena for 60000 They sold 40,000 pre-sale tickets. And I've checked into it. I've checked with ticket broker friends. Jim Boone, friend of the show, asked him about it. Guys, it's legit. This isn't some media spin or something where they really only sold 20000 They're telling you 40000 No. Matchroom is learning the business of how to market and, and how to do pre-sales. 
with big fights like this in the United States. And yeah, it's easy when you got Canelo. I get it. It's easier, I should say, not easy, easier. I get it. But they're learning the sport. And I think they're they're crushing it right now. And no doubt this is going to sell out 60,000. I think it's obviously the biggest event of the year so far. Props to everybody involved, man, for getting that deal done. And look, just look at the sales for it. People want to get out and do things. People are ready to live their lives again. Yes, COVID is still out there. Yes, it is very real. Yes, it is a, a threat, a risk, all of that. But walking outside, you could get struck by lightning tomorrow. A bus might plow into you while you're crossing the street, okay? I hope those things don't happen. They probably won't. But what I'm saying is there's just risk involved with life, and people are ready to get out there and start living again. And the 40,000 tickets that sold for this thing are proof of that because there are a lot of people out there saying, man, this thing ain't going to sell. People are scared. They don't want to travel to Texas. They're not going to want to go. Really? Well, 40,000 people disagree with you. All right. Also. Uh, Andy Ruiz Jr., Chris Ariola. I told you guys about this, that they had a fight coming up, Fox pay-per-view May 1st. Now it's official. This is official for uh, Carson, California, the Dignity Health StubHub Depot, whatever the hell they call it now. I still call it StubHub. It took me forever to stop calling it the Home Depot Center when they changed it to StubHub Center. And then right when I get StubHub Center down, they change it again. I think I think it's the Dignity Health Sports Complex now. That's just not as fun to say. Anyway, uh, tickets for this event are going to be sold in pods. I think of like twos, four, six, eight, like that. They're going to socially distance it. So you can't just walk up to the box office day of and buy tickets for the fight. I don't think it works that way. You're going to have to buy tickets in advance and in groups. So I hate the fact that this fight's pay-per-view. Just going to be honest. You guys know how I feel about pay-per-view. This fight doesn't belong on pay-per-view. If it was regular Fox, I really think they do a good rating for this card. I get from a business perspective why they have to go pay-per-view. That is to meet the salary demands mainly of one particular fighter. That is Andy Ruiz, the former heavyweight world champion. But as much as I hate the fact that it's on pay-per-view, I love the fact that they put it in Los Angeles because that's where this fight belongs. It's going to... It's going to be a great crowd, even though it's going to be socially distanced and limited seating and all this kind of stuff, because the governor of California is a moron. Even though all that, yeah, yeah, I get it. But where it's taking place in the matchups on the card, they are going to be fun. They are going to produce action, and it's going to be a fun atmosphere there. So if you can get tickets, I know a lot of you in L.A. are ready to get out and start living your life again. You should probably grab tickets to this show. I do think it's going to be a fun show. I hope Chris Ariola retires after this fight, though. Also, uh, speaking about fighters that should retire or stay retired, Oscar De La Hoya fighting July 3rd on Triller. Of course, this will be Triller pay-per-view. And he's probably going to fight some MMA guy. No name has been announced yet. But uh, it's likely going to be in Dallas, probably at AT&T Stadium. So what have I been telling you guys? Texas, Florida. They're going to crush it this year, particularly Texas, because the demos are better there, and they're 100% open right now. They are getting all the events. Even Oscar De La Hoya coming back and returning, he's going to fight over there in Texas. My thing with Oscar is, dude, there's this guy named Raul Marquez. He really, really, really wants to fight you. He's from Houston. If you fight him in Dallas, dude, that's a great event. It's going to be a hell of a lot of fun. We've had Raul on the show. Maybe we need to get him back on the show to try to promote that because I would love to see that. I would actually be really, really interested in seeing that. Uh, Zach D in the chat asks, so does this mean that Golden Boy is leaving the zone? 
because it's on Triller. No, Golden Boy is not leaving the zone. Uh, look, go. Oscar has said some weird stuff on Twitter recently as it relates to DAZN executives and stuff like that. And people always read into things on Twitter. I get it. It's just the way things work on social media. I don't really think that there's some big beef where Oscar and Golden Boy are going to leave DAZN. I think this is a situation where DAZN looked at Oscar's comeback fight, gave him an offer, and Oscar didn't like it. And Triller gave him a much bigger offer, and he liked that. And so Oscar kind of acted a little uh, passive-aggressively on Twitter, talking about the zone people. This is just me speculating, okay? I have no inside knowledge here. This is just Mike talking. I think that um, he kind of was a little passive-aggressive on Twitter because zone didn't offer him as much as Triller. But zone has become a lot more conservative after overspending their first year in the business, right? That's across the board. They restructured deals with Canelo and other fighters, uh, because, and that's why some other fighters have been a little inactive recently, because they're not just having, having money thrown at them just for showing up now. So the zones get a little tighter with the budget and they're, they're pulling back on the spending. And Triller right now is basically throwing money out the way the zone was a couple of years ago. So you're going to see a bunch of one-offs with the zone. I'm sorry, with Triller in 2021 and going forward, if they keep overpaying for these pay-per-views. So I think Oscar's going to make some money now as a promoter. Is it a good look if you're a promoter and all your guys are fighting on the zone and you're doing a comeback special on Triller? Yeah, probably not the best look. If I were Oscar and I was doing a comeback fight, I would do it on the zone. I'd take less money, whatever it took, to do it on the zone to bring some attention and some subscribers to the zone because that's where your fighters perform. So I think as a promoter and a businessman, it's not the best look by Oscar to go do this one-off on Triller. Now, apparently, I've, I've heard it could be a multi-fight deal where he does two or three fights on Triller. I get it. They're throwing a boatload of money at you, dude. But you guys fight on the zone. You have a multi-year contract with the zone. Shouldn't you be fighting on the zone? I, I just that that whole thing doesn't quite add up to me. <clears throat> Let's see. Uh, Craig Brain Impact on the chat says, uh, Oscar criticized the crossover between Mayweather and McGregor, yet he is going to have a 10 times worse bout. I don't know if it'll be a 10 times worse bout. I don't know about that. That remains to be seen. It wouldn't surprise me if Oscar took on a better opponent than Floyd. Uh, McGregor boxing is about as novice as you could get. I would have been more of a challenge than McGregor. But um we'll find out but yeah somewhat hypocritical look man look i bashed those crossover fights and now they're continuing to happen all over the place they're just part of the business and now i'm going to end up covering one of them sooner or later because uh, i'm covering one in atlanta coming up soon i'm not really interested in the youtube fight that's happening here in atlanta but i'm interested in the boxing match between pro gray and red catch and i'll be covering that for ring tv so I guess that makes me a hypocrite, but these sorts of events are you're just going to be with us for a while, guys. They're, they're the sport uh, going forward. All right, let's get into this review. So, um, and by the way, if, if my throat sounds a little scratchy, I, I talked about this earlier in the show, man, the pollen is in full effect out here. The tree pollen here in Atlanta, there's just yellow shit all over my car, all over the driveway. And, um, you know, you go outside and do road work in that man and whew, 
it just makes your throat scratchy. So that's all it is, guys. I'm not under the weather or anything. Just my damn sinuses. All right. Uh, the review last week, Thursday, March 25th, Puerto Rico, Ring City, USA. Amanda Serrano, KO9, Daniela Bermudez defends her unified featherweight titles. Uh, I, I mentioned last week in a preview, I said that for Bermudez, this was her first fight outside of her native Argentina. That was incorrect. She, this was her third fight. She had fought once in Japan in 2015, once in Mexico in 2016. But this was her first fight outside of Argentina in five years, her third overall. Anyway, uh, Serrano, who was born in Puerto Rico but grew up in New York, uh, this was kind of a homecoming for her. Uh, she looked good. She was the bigger, stronger fighter. Bermudez looked smaller. And as far as low as 108, this was at 126. So the size and strength advantage was evident right away, but also the skill advantage. Uh, to, to me, Bermudez looked, and this is not to be disrespectful, she looked very one-dimensional. And maybe that was because she was in there against such a bigger, stronger, faster opponent, and she really couldn't do much other than stalk forward and cover up. But that's pretty much all she did. Uh, there was really no plan B or C. There, were, there was no um, levels or angles there. All that was from Serrano, who gets the stoppage with a body shot, and I think is among the top four pound-for-pound pound female fighters in the world. I mean, obviously, it's Taylor, it's Shields. Those are your top two. And then right after that, it's McCaskill, Serrano right there. Uh, if you rate Serrano above McCaskill, okay. I just think McCaskill, you know, regardless of her aesthetics, how she looks, her fights look, those wins over Brekus are pretty damn big. So, um, you know, for me, I got her, her at number three, but Serrano's right there at four. I want to see Serrano versus Katie Taylor. They were supposed to fight. They were set up to fight. COVID happened. And then I think after the renegotiation started to take place, Serrano said, I don't want to travel. I don't want to go over there to the UK. Look, if that fight happens, it's going to the UK. That's where it's going to happen. That's where um, the, the branding and everything for it would be. I understand that um, Taylor's not British, but she has fought in London multiple times and she has a brand there. So for Serrano, she's going to have to travel if that fight happens and she's going to have to move up back up and wait. She's fought all over different divisions. But man, I want to see that. I want to see Taylor and Serrano. I think that's the best fight that could be made in women's boxing right now. Right up there with if Shields can actually make 47 and wants to fight McCaskill, that's right up there too. Those are two fights in women's boxing I'm actually very interested in seeing. I would love to see either of those fights. So hopefully that can happen. Saturday, March 27th at the Rock of Gibraltar. Matchroom on the zone. It was the rematch. Dillian White scoring a TKO4 win over Alexander Povetkin. Real quick, guys, punch numbers. Don't punch me. I know some of you hate punch numbers. But Dillian White lands 57 out of 131, 43%. Povetkin landed 8 out of 72, 11%. So, yes, punch numbers don't always, that's a high score fights, but they sure give you an indication. What do those punch numbers indicate? This was a one-sided beatdown. So a lot of people have made, um, people have made a lot about the appearance of Povetkin. Uh, they compared his ring walk to when Tony Soprano goes out to get the newspaper every morning, right? The gut hanging out and just looking pissed off and just pouty going out there to get the paper, struggling to breathe, right? Going down the uh, driveway. That's kind of how Povetkin looked. He gained weight uh, between the first fight and the second fight and white lost weight from the first fight to the second fight. So white looked a lot better. His physique, 
And Plavekin looked bad. We know he had COVID. That was over in Russia. <clears throat> Who knows how serious it was or what kind of recovery? We don't really know. We know we're not going to ever really get the truth coming from that part of the world and the media there. Uh, but obviously, it affected Povekian. Getting COVID, a lot of fighters have gotten COVID. But getting COVID as a 41-year-old heavyweight who borders on being a little pudgy versus getting COVID and you're a 25-year-old featherweight who's ripped, you're going to respond differently. Those two people will respond differently to COVID, correct? I think it's clear that COVID uh, affected Povekian a little bit here. Also, his age, man. He's going on 42 years old. He's been around for a long time, long distinguished amateur career, long distinguished professional career. So, yes, it wasn't the best version of Alexander Povetkin we've ever seen. But is any of that Dillian White's fault? No. (laughs) Dillian White showed up and did what he was supposed to do. He went out there, boxed smart. Yes, he looked a little, um, he didn't look very sharp at times. He flailed a lot. There was some Deontay Wilder-esque right hands that he threw. He didn't set things up as well as he could have. He didn't look spectacular in this fight himself, okay? But he won every round. And I think him and Povekin have shared nine rounds now. Other than the huge mistake he made in the first fight in the fifth round, he won eight of the nine rounds they've shared together. And yes, Povekin did not look the same in this rematch. Maybe he got old overnight. Maybe it was covid Maybe it was a combination of both. Maybe he's just checked out and he's ready to retire. Either way, Dillian White uh, pretty much dominated these two fights with Povetkin outside of that one fatal mistake that you can make as heavyweights. Uh, And he owned that to his credit. So immediately after this fight, people started talking. I did a live uh, fight uh, commentary and I asked you guys right then and there, where do you rate Dillian White at heavyweight right now? This is the big debate. I talked about it with the ring ratings committee and I'm, I brought it up. Should we put Dillian white above Deontay Wilder right now? Number one guy is Tyson Fury. Number two, Anthony Joshua. Who's that number three guy? Is it Wilder or is it white? Every single member of the committee, every single member that responded to my message said Wilder above white. Okay. Not one member of the committee pushed for white being above Wilder. So called American bias. I don't know, but that's where it is right now. Based on the eye test, I can understand why people would rate Deontay Wilder over Dillian White. Wilder does look better than White, just from the eye test, from a skill standpoint. I know some of you might think I'm crazy for saying that, but just based on the way they fight at their best, it's easy to see why people would favor Wilder slightly, cautiously, over Dillian White. However, what version of Deontay Wilder exists right now? Is he the best version of himself, which, always, in my opinion, was always flawed? Is he anywhere near that guy anymore, mentally, physically, after getting beat down and beat up by Tyson Fury last, last uh, January, February? It was over a year ago. He hasn't fought in over a year. He's turned down fight offers to him. He doesn't have a fight scheduled. In the time that he's been off making crazy conspiracy theories on Instagram videos and stuff, Dillian White has fought twice. So in terms of accomplishments, check this out, guys. And, you know, I'm just going to put it out there. Deontay Wilder's best two wins were Luis Ortiz twice. How old was Luis Ortiz when Wilder beat him? 
He was in his 40s, right? The same guy is beating the shit out of Dillian White right now for beating an old pudgy Alexander Povetkin, or the same dudes slobbing all over Deontay Wilder for beating an old pudgy Luis Ortiz. I, I just I don't see a lot of consistency. And I the the difference, okay, I will say this. The difference is both, you know, they fought twice, both of them. White and Povetkin fought twice, and Wilder and, and uh, Ortiz fought twice. In the rematch, Povetkin looked shittier in his rematch with White. Ortiz looked better in his rematch with Wilder. So that is a big difference, a distinction that I should note. So perhaps beating Luis Ortiz twice is is outrates. And remember, White did lose the first fight with, with uh, Povetkin. So, okay, we'll push Wilder up because of that, okay? He's, a, he's ahead. But let's look at the rest of their resumes. Outside of Luis Ortiz, Deontay Wilder hasn't beat a top heavyweight. White has two wins over Derek Chisora, who's not a top elite-level heavyweight, but a decent, solid guy who's proven himself. Robert Hellanius. You might laugh, but that Robert Hellanius win has aged pretty well for him based on what Hellanius just did against Kovnachi, right? Uh, Joseph Parker, he's a top heavyweight. Uh, Oscar Rivas, and now a faded old pudgy Povetkin. So overall, you can definitely make an argument that Dillian White's resume, overall body of work, is better than Deontay Wilder's at the same time. You can say that Deontay Wilder's best win in the rematch against Luis Ortiz is better than any of Dillian White's best wins, although Deontay Wilder was losing that fight on all three judges' scorecards before he iced the old man, who, by the way, in the first fight, almost wasn't cleared to fight by the medical uh, people, the, the State Athletic Commission. I think that first fight was in New York. Correct me if I'm wrong. And uh, they had, I think, Charles Martin on standby because um, Ortiz almost wasn't cleared to fight. So um, I don't know, guys. It's kind of muddy waters there. In a perfect world, they both, they'd fight each other. I wouldn't have to have this damn conversation, this, this argument here. They'd fight each other and settle it for us. But we don't live in that world, unfortunately. Uh, this is boxing in 2021. What should happen, what I'd like to see, is the WBC get involved here and mandate that Wilder and White fight for the mandatory position. And the winner between Fury and Joshua has to fight the winner between Wilder and White next, or they get stripped. That's what I would like to see. The sanctioning organization get involved and force the issue here, because that is a fight that needs to happen. I actually think it's one of the best fights that could be made in boxing right now. Based on styles, based on where those guys are at in their life, I want to see Wilder and White fight. Um, Mandeli in the chat says, looks like Wilder Ruiz Jr. is being worked on. Well, Ruiz has to beat Chris Ariola first, which he will. But if Wilder and Andy Ruiz fight each other, I get why the PBC would do that. They could keep it all in-house. The sanctioned organizations will help them out, especially the BC, to make that happen. Uh, I get it. That will be pay-per-view, probably. Uh, not no probably about it. That's a good fight. It's a good fight. I just, man, I want to see Dillian White in the mix. I just want to see him in the mix. Okay, also on this card, uh, Cheeseman Metcalf. Damn good fight. If you haven't seen that, make sure you check it out. I would call it fight of the year, but that can't surpass Estrada and uh, Chocolatito. So, so this is probably the second best fight of the year. All right, but damn good fight. And Campbell Haddon made his professional debut. A lot of people were dissing him, saying he looked like shit. Yeah, he didn't look very good. Guys, chill out. It's his pro debut. I think um, 
we've seen a few pro debuts recently that where, where the fighter looked really, really good, and you can tell there's something there. With Hatton, yeah, you didn't quite see that. Do I think Campbell Hatton's going to be a future pound-for-pound level guy and multi-division world champ? No, that's not what's going to happen. But it's going to be fun to watch him. Boy, does he look like his dad. Holy hell, he looks just like his dad. Uh, but there's a lot to clean up, a lot to clean up. But it was just his pro debut. So everyone, chill, relax. There will only be one Ricky Hatton, right? There was only one. All right. Let's get into this preview. There we go. There we go. All right. little fight preview, guys. Uh, Wednesday, March 31st in Australia, Tim Zhu fights Dennis Hogan. That's a quality matchup for Tim Zhu, who we will continue to keep an eye on. And Saturday, April 3rd, uh, before I get to the big one over in Dubai, there's a card in Uzbekistan from Matchroom. I love this. This is a really smart move by Eddie Hearn, going where the business is going. Very smart. Matchroom is putting on a card. You heard me right. In Uzbekistan. They're not having a bunch of Uzbek fighters fight in some little casino somewhere in California or New Jersey or something like that. No, they're going to Uzbekistan and putting on a show there. And several of these fighters, you guys will know, uh, Akhmed Ayalev, who is a unified champion at 122 pounds, 2016 Olympian, going up against former titleist from Japan, Ryosuke Iwasa, and Chakram Wonderboy Giasov. A lot of people are super excited about him. 140-pound prospect, 10-0, and 0, also was in those 20, 2016 Olympics, going up against Mexican Patricio Moreno. Several Uzbeki prospects on this card, including Israel Madramov. Uh, here's why I love this. And again, this isn't me trying to kiss, kiss Matchroom's ass. It's just smart business. They are going over to Uzbekistan, putting on a show there, featuring Uzbek fighters. Very, very smart because 2016 Olympics, who crushed it? Who owned it? The Uzbeks. Remember, if you guys listened to my show back then, I was telling you the Uzbeks are coming, right? In 2020, we were supposed to have Olympics. They were going to crush it there again. Whenever we, those Olympics finally do happen, Uzbekistan is going to have a lot of medals. There are going to be more and more fighters from that country coming up. So for Matchroom to go over there and start doing cards, very, very smart. Very, very smart for them. Boxing, again, I did a video on this last week. Is it related to some of Terrence Crawford's comments about Canelo Alvarez? Boxing is more global, more globally diverse than it has ever, ever been. So this is smart business from Matchroom. I'll say it again for the 500th time. And look, all of these fights, for the most part, the main event, you know, that's a quality fight. Obviously, I favor Akhmadiyev pretty heavily. But yeah, a lot of these fights are showcases. I get it. It's the first time they're doing something like this. So you get a pass for that. Now, at some point, you want to see bigger matchups. But I love that you're keeping these guys busy. You're building that brand over there and um, building a market over there. It's one thing to build a brand. And boxing, the, the athlete, the fighter is the brand. It doesn't matter what damn title's on the line. It doesn't matter what promoter it is. Most people, except for weirdos on YouTube, a handful of them, give a shit about that. The fighter is the brand, okay? So it's one thing to build a brand. It's another thing to build a market. When you build a market for fights, you could bring any fighter to that market. That's the point. That's the difference. Vegas is a boxing market. You could bring fighters from any country to Vegas. If it's a good fight, it will sell, right? So 
building brands, building markets, two different things. And globally, now you're seeing a bunch of different markets start to spring up that 20 years ago, pretty much it was just the USA. Now the UK is a huge market in boxing, right? Germany has been a market for a while. Japan, Argentina has a lot of cards, right? There are different markets building up. Uh, Top rank invested in China before. Um, they're, they're, they're invested in Japan, obviously, as well uh, right now. So, so there are just different markets around the world now, man. That's boxing in 2021. I think that it is very, very exciting. All right. So the biggest card, or I should say the biggest fight of this week on this card here, uh, we have top rank on ESPN Plus here in the States. This is on the Plus, not on the network, on the Plus. From Caesars Palace in Dubai, United Arab Emirates, Jamel Herring defending his WBO junior lightweight title against Carl Frampton, former fighter of the year, Carl Frampton. So you look at the height difference here, major, major difference. Five foot 10 for Herring against five foot five for Frampton, 72 inch reach for Herring, 65 inch reach for Frampton. Now, years ago, Carl Frampton was on the verge of being a special fighter. He won fighter of the year. He, uh, he, Won titles, I think, what, 118, then 122? Or maybe it was 122, then 126. Correct me if I'm wrong here, guys. Beat uh, Leo Santa Cruz for the first time, right? Wins fighter of the year, gets all these accolades, and just hasn't quite been the same since. I'm trying to think back. That's probably going five years back or something like that. Had the rematch with Leo Santa Cruz, got paid, but kind of got a little screwed there because there was never a, a third fight, never a rubber match. Just hasn't looked the same. And to me, it's indicative of this generation in boxing because a lot of these dudes, uh, yeah, Hugh in, in the chat says that uh, 122, um, he beat Scott Quigg. That's right. So he beat Scott Quigg at 22. Then at 26, he beat uh, Leo Santa Cruz, right? And then in the rematch, he lost to Leo. Hasn't quite looked the same since. It's indicative to me, in my opinion, of this generation of boxing where uh, some of these guys just get, you know, their first little breakthrough performance where they punch through a little bit, get a little bit of mainstream love, um, a little bit of um, attention, fanfare, money, some awards, some accolades, and then they get a little comfortable and they're just never the same. It's hard to stay hungry and humble after that and be the same dude. It's it's a rare breed of human being, a rare breed of fighter that can do that, right? There's only so many Marvin Haglers to go around. Uh, that was a guy that stayed humble and stayed hungry the whole time. And after that fight with uh, Ray Leonard, he was like, okay, I'm done with this shit. Forget it. I always thought they should have did a rematch, but whatever, whatever. So with Frampton, man, I, I just, look, at his absolute peak, I would have favored him to beat Herring, despite the size difference and everything else. But at this stage, I think that this is top rank who promotes Herring knows what they got here, right timing, right place, all of it. I think that Herring's going to win this fight, like 116, 112, something like that. It'll be competitive, but I like Jamel Herring. And that sets up very interesting opportunities for top rank at 130 later in the year. They, they really have a, a great setup from like 122 all the way to like 140 right now, top rank does. But at 130, Herring wins. They've got they've got so many options, right? You still got Shakur Stevenson. You've got uh, Oscar Valdez in around there. Uh, of course, later on in May, you're going to have Taylor and Ramirez fight at 140. 
So they have a bunch of stuff coming up. So later this year, it's going to get real interesting at 130 if Herring wins. If Frampton pulls this off and wins this fight and wins another title in a third weight class, um, this would be a big, big deal, you know, for, for him to win the title in another weight class. But I'm going to go with Herring here um, in this fight. Also on this card, 140-pound Kazakh prospect, Zankosh Tururov. Uh, yeah, going up against Tyrone McKenna of Northern Ireland, uh, who a pretty good fighter who has two losses, but they're close losses to Jack Catterall and O'Hara Davies. Again, this will be at 140. Uh, Tururov is 24-0. and 0. And Donnie Nietes, remember him? Donnie Nietes. He beat uh, Ioka back in 2018 and just disappeared. Haven't seen him. He is coming back, fighting at uh, Super Flyweight or Junior Bantamweight, whichever you prefer, going up against Colombian fighter Pablo Carrillo. So that is it for this weekend, guys. Um, Hugh in the chat says, I think Frampton's skills will win. Yeah, look, Frampton, probably the better athlete, probably the more skilled fighter, probably a little more talented. But I just think Herring's size, his mental state where he is at right now in the sports and everything, He's very battle-tested. This is a tough man who's been through it in the ring and out of the ring. I think Herring's going to pull this out. I think it's going to be um, competitive. Frampton's going to have his moments, but I think he's going to pull this out. Captain Hook Chronicles, don't forget his war with Warrington. True that, true that. Yeah, I mean, Frampton, he's also been in there with bigger guys, you know, and and being in there with bigger guys, um, that wears on you too. So. Uh, Mandela with a good question here. Is he a Hall of Famer if he loses? You know, I got to think about that. Uh, former fighter of the year. He's won titles, legit titles in a couple weight classes. Um, he's he's kind of like one of those guys that probably eventually gets in, but maybe not first ballot. Now, if he beats Herring this weekend, gets that title in another weight class, and Herring is in his prime, no one's going to say he's not, Right. Um, then we're having a different discussion. Then, yeah, I think you, you're talking first ballot. He's in, man. He is in. But um, I agree with Craig here on the chat. He says Frampton is not the same guy as a few years ago. Yeah, I, I just I don't think he's that same dude. I just don't. So, um, man, that's it, guys. Unless anyone has any more comments here in the chat, I could jump off. Actually, it looks like we we got a call here. So let me jump over to this call. It looks like a UK call. All right. Let me uh, pick this one up here. 4479, you are on TNC. Go. Hello, Mike. It's me, Hamid, calling from the UK. Hamid, what's up, man? How you doing? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. I just got uh, just the end of the show because I'm in work. I'm just doing overtime. But I'm not sure. I think I heard you talk about the front of fight. I'm not sure if you talked about. Uh, I heard Bob Allen saying about Terence Crawford. I'm not sure if you talked about that, but apparently he was saying that Crawford is going to fight the left line on pay-per-view. And I just wanted to get your thoughts on a couple of things. Uh, do you think it'll be a big fight? Because he's saying it's a major announcement. But then I heard uh, from someone saying that it could be Josecito Lopez or someone else. So... But do you think, because uh, they're saying it's a major announcement, uh, he's going to be a big name, then it won't be one of those guys like Lopez? Well, I've heard a bunch of names thrown out. I mean, obviously they can't do Jose Cito Lopez on pay-per-view. I've heard that it could be Sean Porter. Um, outside chance it could be Pacquiao, but I just don't see that. But 
I've heard it, it probably will be Sean Porter, but I can't say anything on the record. And um, it, it's got to be a name like that if it's going to be pay-per-view. But apparently they have some big announcement, and we're going to find out soon. So. Yeah. Yeah, he said next week there'll be an announcement. Uh, I, I think it might be Sean Porter because Adam was a bit reluctant to, uh, when he was asked uh, by the interviewer, if uh, Sean Porter pulled out the negotiation. And he kind of gave a blanket statement. And I, I can't, if it's not Pacquiao, I can't think of anyone else that's going to pick the blocks for people here. I know Keith Simmons are not fighting him. I wanted to do is get his thoughts on a couple of other things as well, regarding Crawford. Because I, I know one of the callers who called in last week, and I've heard him, and he's not the only one, I've heard other people criticize Crawford a lot. But then when you think about it, a lot of like the guys who's beat, and I'm not a Crawford apologist, apologist. Like I've criticized the guys well in the past. But I see a lot of fans have double standards when it comes to guys like, especially Golovkin. They hold him to a different standard. Then when you go a girl like Crawford coming in the street champion, which Golovkin didn't, and Crawford wants to see big classes. Like, I feel, I feel there's a double standard. And I get it. Like, Crawford lacked a marquee name. And I was, I was doing it a couple of people on Twitter. And, and I was trying to, you know, be objective. But is it really Crawford's fault for the fact that Jeff Wharton got that decision over Pacquiao? I, I know Crawford and Pacquiao, there was negotiations of that fight. But is it his fault also that a guy like Lucas Matisse lost to Postal, and I know Postal wasn't that big a name. Like stuff like that, I think he's a big, people are being a bit overcritical. Where you compare some of Golovkin's opponents, and I'm not being distracted because I was a big Golovkin fan, and I'm still out. I was at the Golovkin book fight, but uh, up until I know he was ducked by a couple of guys, but he still got the big fights in the end. Up until the Canelo fight. One of his biggest wins was Cal Brock alongside Jacobs, who was a career grown up welterweight. So, like, do you think, like, if Crawford doesn't, uh, basically, do you think some of the criticism is fair? Do you think it's over, uh, him being over criticized? Uh, like, I get it, the Cal Brock fight, that was a bad matchup, but what about the rest? Do you think he's warranted? I think the biggest problem with Crawford is he's not very good on camera and he's not very good in interviews. And I think he gets misunderstood. I think based on the little interaction I've had with him and some of his people, some of, you know, in his camp and his team, what he was trying to say the other week when he said the, um, the Errol Spence fight, we're beyond that, we're past it. I think he was basically saying like, they don't want this damn fight and I'm sick of talking about it because he's never going to fight me. And he's just kind of saying, we're just moving on. He doesn't do a very good job of communicating and, and uh, he's not very... Um, I'm trying to think of the right word. He's um, very abrasive with fans. If you look at the way he tweets and some of the, he's abrasive with media. He's just, he's got a difficult personality in terms he, of marketing him. He doesn't, yeah, he do, he doesn't market himself. Like Golovkin, his English is bad and Golovkin is a foreigner. But yeah. the way he was marketed and promoted by HBO, Tom Lothman, whatever, I thought they did a very good job up until I'd say the Vanets fight. I think after that, I think Golovkin didn't deserve a lot of criticism. Some warranted, some I don't think was his fault. But I agree. I think Crawford just uh, those whole Canelo uh, whatever. Yeah, those comments were stupid. I, that was just stupid. Yeah, yeah, that was stupid. I I, I think Crawford I think is a fantastic a- talent. I think he's one of the best fighters in the world. I think that he was highly accomplished at thirty five and forty, but at forty seven. 
His reign hasn't been very good. And I agree with you, Ahmed. It's not his fault that Horn got the decision over Pacquiao. He went out there and beat Horn. Was that opportunistic for him and easy matchmaking? Yeah, you can argue that, but that's not his fault. He went out there and beat the guy who took his title. Uh, but he doesn't say the right thing. He doesn't market himself well. What, what I would be saying if I was Crawford is I'd put it all on Spence. Spence doesn't want to fight me. Spence is ducking me. And you guys have to be patient. When Ramirez and, and Taylor fight, I want the winner of that fight. You know, I'd be saying things like that. But he just he doesn't understand uh, marketing and branding. He, he doesn't do very well on the mic. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't disagree with that. I, I completely agree. I think on Twitter as well, going back to both fans, all that, I'm just, I was more or less talking about the resume, like pound for pound. At the moment, if someone's ranking in third, fourth, or fifth, I understand all that. There's yeah. A couple of years ago, or what was it? I thought you could make a valid argument. He was clearly number one or number two. Right now, I think you could put Nui, Canelo, and maybe even, you could even argue Usyk or maybe a couple of other guys too. Let's be real, uh, fighting guys that tell Brock and uh, uh, Kavalakis or whatever, some of these opponents, uh, he, he does deserve to be dropped. But I was just saying, because uh, if, obviously, if he doesn't fight Sean Porter or Pacquiao, he deserves all the criticism. Whether that's yeah. Bob, uh, Bob Aaron, Top Rank or whatever, or Crawford, the whole team. But like, I, I didn't blame him too much for beating Horn, because Horn, whether you agree with the decision or not, that was a competitive fight with Pacquiao. I thought Pacquiao won, but... You would argue that was a close fight, uh, like, and Crawford completely conclusively beat it. Since then, I agree some of the matchmaking has been bad, but then again, I don't know if it's all his fault because uh, it's on record that Danny Garcia turned on the fight. Yes. The fight for less money against Adrian Granada. Multiple times. And then, uh, yeah, and he was offered like three, four million. And someone yeah. today was saying to me on Twitter that Khan uh, offered more, but Khan offered more because that was a pay per view in the UK. So, that's one of the reasons. I agree that was a crash fight that should have been on, it should have not been on paper in America and the Brock fight as well. But it was a pandemic. So I kind of gave him a pass. But if he doesn't fight Porter next or Pacquiao, then it is a bad look. And I think he does deserve some criticism in terms of the whole 60 40 or whatever. I know Spence now is saying 80 20 and all. The whole thing is just made me lose interest and given up on the fight. But he, he should, I think, concede that. He's the beast by the next Spence. Call it Spence's stuff and let Spence have the 60% and see what Spence is. But in terms of his resume, I, I, I don't know. Like someone who's saying he's a bouncer on Twitter. Like to me, I think he's a bit over, going over the top. Like yeah. wins over Victor, Victor Postol, Gamboa, and even I know some of these guys ain't that great. Uh, don't get me wrong. It's not a marking name, but even Jeff Horn. You could argue they're just a sort of, if not better than Windsor, but the new, I don't know, Cal Brook, Martin Murray. Uh, I think the difference was Golovkin was obviously, I think, ducked a, a bit longer. But right now in the world with division, Crawford's also being frozen out. So yeah, I'm not sure. I heard, I heard the only sides to the story. So I heard the only di- the only difference I would make, Hamed, is that Golovkin, when he first came to America, was willing to make concessions to get fights done. Yeah. And there are several fights where he and his team, I've talked about this for several years, actually, where they were going through litigation. He could only fight in certain countries. Um, he basically made just enough money to pay his team. He was basically fighting for free. And this is while he had a world title. Golovkin didn't make seven figures until after the Rubio fight. Um, I'm trying to think who was after Rubio. It might've been Lemieux. 
Um, that was his first fight making uh, Murray, seven. Murray, I think. Was it Murray? Yeah, okay. Then, I think. That was Monroe his first then. time that he made seven figures. Okay. Whether it was Monroe, Murray, one of, one of those guys. So, so Crawford refuses to make concessions. He, he wants, he, he wants his, his uh, guarantee from top rank. He won't come down from that. Lomachenko made concessions to get the, the Tiafimo Lopez fight done. And Tiafimo, you know, he made concessions too to get that fight with Loma done. So we've seen a lot of other fighters make concessions, take a pay cut, whatever. Crawford is not willing to bend on that. So that's where I will blame him to a yeah, certain yeah. extent, you know. And yeah. um, that, that's on him. Outside the ring, I agree. Uh, uh, one of the callers made a good point. I think him saying that about Virgil Ortiz, I don't think it's a good look. But when when I heard people saying Virgil Ortiz was blasting, or I don't know about that. I'm talking about now inside the ring. I know he hasn't handled himself like to the T or how guys that Triple G did or Lomachenko outside the ring. But inside the ring, I personally think Ortiz has a bunch of chance. I agree with you. From last week, but after the first round, I think Steve Kim said it best on the three doctor. Uh, you can't walk forward with a high guard like that. I, I personally think it could be one point two in for Austin. and he could get seriously hurt. He, he, he has a bunch of chance, but I, I don't I don't like his chances at the moment. As a fan, I'd watch it. I don't mind if Ortiz fights Crawford. If Crawford can't get a fight after the uh, was the next fight, if he can't get one of the big names, but I personally think Ortiz may. If I, go, if I was good, I'd try and get one or two more fights this year. I think you you made a very good point. He needs a top 10 opponent. I know Hooker's big, but Hooker hasn't really put in anyone I want to. So, yeah. I, I'm not sure about that. It, it'd be a good fight. It'd be a good fight. Look, anyone could get old overnight. I, I personally think he was against Brock. He was just downloading the information that people say. Brock was doing well. He is a technical good fighter, but at the same time, once he landed on Brock, it's over. I, I didn't yeah. see Brock won some of those early rounds. I just think that was down to experience. Brooks, I know he was damaged, but he was whatever, way past his death, but he did have some experience. Uh, with Ortiz, I think it could be one fight, maybe too early, but Ortiz, it does look like a future opponent, a very good opponent. Uh, I just want to say one last thing uh, regarding the white fight. I, I rewatched the first fight. I thought Povetkin was old then. I thought Povetkin was old when he knocked out David Price. I was at that fight then. He, he was... Knocked down, I believe, by Price. Once Joshua knocked him out, I personally think you could say Povetkin was on the slide. He was on the slide, some people thought, back then. But once you get knocked out like that, I don't think he was the same guy. So for him to knock Dylan White out, I personally think that wasn't a good look. He was dangerous in that fight. I just think some people are overrated. This When I'm in radio, you said, I listened back to what you uh, said earlier on the podcast, but to me, Povetkin just looked all wrong in that. Yeah, the rematch, the rematch. Even in the first fight, I, I personally thought he looked really old. He struggled with Fury uh, and Michael Hunter. Michael Hunter, yeah. Was, you know, ten years ago, he would have beaten those guys there. Still a good, still a good win for Povetkin over White. Uh, and you know, for Hunter, that was you know maybe on his on paper one of his best results. But Dylan White, I think, is fundamentally flawed. I think he once he faces a punch again, he gets knocked out. At the moment, for him, he did everything well. It was a good performance. He won pretty much every round. But I think there's two ways of looking. I, I just personally think Kovetkin is now completely shot. I think you could argue he was shot in the first fight as well. He landed one big punch, man. I mean, if you go back and watch that first fight, I mean, there was a lot of people saying, oh, I had that shit even after three rounds, four rounds. I'm like, really? 
White won every round of that fight. In I, rounds, I thought. I, I thought I, I White was winning that fight. No, no, White was ahead because of the knockdown. But I thought he could argue that Povetkin won the first two rounds. From there on in, it was all White and Povetkin was hanging on. In terms of points, Povetkin was down, obviously. Yeah, 10, what was it, 10-7 round or 10-6 round? White almost had him. And that's what I'm trying to see. The fact that White won the rematch is a bit like Russell beating Ruiz. This should have happened really in the first fight. But, yeah. I mean, some parts is learn the hard way. It'll be interesting yeah. to see what happens. But I'm not sure if you, uh, before I go, I'm not sure if you uh, talked about it, but it looks like we may be getting Wilder Fury 3. That's what I've heard from a couple of people. That's the rumor that now. Fury may be that's the rumor I'm now. Sure. I'm not sure. Well, Ahmed, um, I'm not I, sure what Joshua. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump off. I got a, a super chat right. here that I want to hit. But thanks for calling in, man. But... All right. All right. Thanks, for calling. thanks for calling. I'll catch you soon. Okay. All right. Nice. Yeah, I heard that um, they're saying now that possibly it's going to be the third fight between Wilder and, and Fury. I really don't freaking know. Um, I just hope they get it resolved soon because I want to see the heavyweight division move along. And I'm going to talk a little bit about the heavyweight division before I let you guys go. First, I got to get to a super chat from J&M. Thank you so, so much. He says, how do you see Lawrence Okoli performing once he moves up to heavyweight? He seems to hold legitimate power, and his jab has improved out of sight. Thanks, buddy. Um, I, I don't know, man. I, he, I kind of look at the way I look at Usyk. Okay, um, Okoli is actually longer than Usyk. You know, longer arms, taller, could potentially put on more weight and wear it better than Usyk. Also had a very short amateur career uh so he doesn't have the wear and tear in his body that Usyk had or has so maybe he'd have uh, more potential but uh i still want to see a cole close out things at cruiserweight he wants to fight bradis next let's do that let's unify the titles let's become the man at cruiserweight let's settle in let's build a little bit of a resume there then maybe move to heavyweight he has potential okay but against the very top guys you've got to have a certain amount of strength natural born strength to move and turn your opponent unless you have lights out knockout power, which a Coley will not have at heavyweight. Uh, Deontay Wilder is a prime example of this. Deontay is not, he's a, he's a big heavyweight in terms of his height, his, his length and everything. But in terms of his natural size and strength, he's not a guy that's going to grab Tyson Fury or Anthony Joshua in the clinch and turn them, you know, hook them, grab the back of his elbow and hook them and turn them and then get shots off. He couldn't do that with guys like Ortiz even, right? Deontay Wilder kind of needs you to stand in front of him where he can fire off a right hand and hurt you. That's how he's going to beat you. Now, Usyk can't do that at heavyweight, right? He, he doesn't have that kind of power. He didn't really have that kind of power at cruiserweight. He's got to box and turn you, and I just don't know if he's going to do that with these super, super big, skilled guys. And I would say the same thing about Akoli. We need to see a lot more of Akoli. He has improved greatly. But we need to slow down with the talk about going to heavyweight. Really need to slow that down. Speaking of the heavyweight division, you know, Hamed was just asking about Dillian White. A few of you guys have asked about it. I, but earlier in the show, I talked about White and Wilder. You know, which one's number three right now? And that's the big debate. Uh, some people say Wilder would decapitate White. Some people say White would decapitate Wilder. The truth is, guys, I think this heavyweight division is a little overrated. There are a lot of people out there, particularly in the American fight press, who bashed the shit out of the Klitschko era and said that was the worst era in heavyweight boxing. I vehemently disagree with that. I'm not saying it was the 70s. I'm not saying it was the 90s, okay? 
but it wasn't as bad as people made it seem. As soon as this generation, this current generation started coming up, everyone's like, oh man, the heavyweights are back, right? This, this generation's so much better than the last one. I'm not so sure about that. Are we, you know, I talked about this a little bit on, on a video I did uh, earlier. Uh, I think it was on the live fight commentary that I did with uh, Povekian White, the rematch. But are, are, are you guys that sure that fighters like White, like uh, Parker, uh, who else, uh, Ortiz, um, Ruiz, that these guys beat Lehman Brewster, Sultan Abragamov, Ruslan Shagayev, David Hay? Are you so sure about that? Because I'm not. I don't know that this, the, the, you look at the second tier of heavyweights in the previous era and compare them to the second tier of these heavyweights. I don't see where they're that much better. I think the difference in this era is that these heavyweights are more exciting to watch. They're flawed. They go for the knockout. They're not as cerebral. You had heavy, heavy Eastern European influence in the previous generation of heavyweights, and they fought very cerebral. They were very tactical, technical defensive-minded fighters. And these guys now really don't fight like that as much. They kind of go out there, bombs away. Uh, that's what you saw with White and Povek in both of their fights. So you're more prone to see that sort of heavyweight action in this era. So I understand why people think they're more exciting. Also, <clears throat> you got two premier heavyweights right now, Fury and Joshua. Hopefully they fight each other. Hopefully. You had two premier heavyweights in the previous generation, the Klitschko brothers. They were never going to fight each other. They were brothers. So in this generation, perhaps you could get that complete consolidation at the very top where the two top guys fight each other. That didn't happen in the previous era. So those are the two big differences between the, 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 the two heavyweight eras. But top to bottom, is this era that, that much better? I, I don't know. In fact, it might actually be worse than the Klitschko era, top to bottom. When you when when all the smoke clears, okay, um, and we got to see what happens between Fury and Joshua, but it might actually be a little worse. I don't know. Right now, I kind of see this being on par. It's just the action is a little bit better, but maybe the action is a little bit better because the guys aren't quite as skilled, so they get caught more, they get clipped more, and you get more brawls. That's what I see, man. Maybe that won't be a popular opinion, but um, yeah. What he is agrees with me is that Kali 92 in the chest is exactly the same sentiments, Mike. So there you go. At least one of you guys agrees. <laughs> uh, actually, Twall 1999 says the same thing. Similar level, to be honest. Big plus for this era is that the two best can fight each other. Not possible between brothers. Exactly. Exactly. Mendelia says, Wilder Ruiz, 8999 pay-per-view in the fall. Well, look, if that goes to pay-per-view, I hope it does well. Cool. That's a decent fight. I just want to see Dillian White in the mix. All right, guys, that's it for uh, this show. Good stuff. We'll do it again next Monday. Love you guys. Have a good one. Be safe. We'll see you at the fights.